Well, as we said last week, the, um, the practice of Advent, this, this idea of preparing for the coming of, of Jesus is something that's been happening for hundreds upon hundreds of years. And so we're not alone in this journey. We're not alone in this, uh, this desire to, to actually prepare ourselves to celebrate Christmas in a, in a new way this year. Uh, began in the early hundreds, actually, this, this desire to, um, to, to do something different, to, to begin to set like a Christian calendar that would help us understand more deeply uh, things like the birth of Jesus, uh, the, the, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And uh, so we join in this old tradition called Advent. Um, something I love about this is that we don't just gather uh, here in this, this church location to, to celebrate this. We don't just join with those through the, throughout history who have done this. We actually have two churches in, um, who, who are kind of collective churches with us who are, who are doing the same Advent pass that we're doing this year. So the same journey that we're on this for unto us, uh, two of our uh, partner churches, one is called Desert City Church up in the Desert Ridge area. Uh, Jared Doe is the pastor there and, and uh, he's doing the same series there. And then Arcadia City Church down in Phoenix uh, with Michael Fay pastoring there. He's doing the same, uh, same series as well there. So we're with some other churches. They're part of us. We're a part of them, which is a lot of fun to do that. Last week, uh, Don Doe, who is the founding pastor here, he came Sunday morning. He was here uh, for the first in the series, and then he left here and he drove to Desert City to experience what they were doing at Desert City, and then Sunday night last week, he went to Arcadia City, all three, and he said they were all great experiences, and you know, my question was, well, which one was best? <laughs> which one led you to the manger? <laughs> it wasn't ours, but that's okay. <laughs> Oh, I love, I, I love Advent. I love this season. Um, I love the decorations. I, I've told you before, my wife, she starts listening to Christmas music in January for the following year, so we never turn it off. Uh, but I love it. Bing Crosby is one of her favorites, and um, it's just a great season. Our, our, our living room now has the Christmas tree in the corner. How many of you have a Christmas tree up? Not everybody? Oh, come on, bah humbug. Got the Christmas tree up. We got snowmen all over the house. They're melting, and um, it's just a great season uh, to 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 have joy, to smile. To, and and then the cold weather this week wasn't it great to have a little bit of cold weather? Um, I'm ready for it to warm back up. But anyway, so Advent, this 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 preparing, this expecting something. I liken it to uh, this picture of pregnancy. Now, I've never been pregnant, which is not a surprise, but my wife has. And pregnancy is this interesting thing that happens within a body that's like it's there, but it's not quite there yet. You know what I mean? Like something's happening, but not to the fullness that it's going to happen. And for the, for the husband, for the, for, the, for the father, there's this bit of disconnect because like my wife often talked about her, the feelings in her body or the, the hunger that she had for certain kinds of food, which were crazy. And I was disconnected from that until, I, on the, you know, the, the moments when we were laying in bed at night and she would say, he's moving. And I would see this like alien form <laughs> like move across her stomach. And I'd put my hand there and he would 
all, like stop moving for, you know, whenever I put my hand there. But there was this expectation, and you had no idea what the baby was going to look like. Now, I know that we have these 3D images now. Have you seen these 3D images of, of, of a baby? And unbelievable, amazing, but there's still this little disconnect. Even with the images, there's this little disconnect. And there is this longing within the heart of parents to meet that child and hold that child and rock that child. That's, that's kind of like Advent. Advent is to, to, to do something within us, to, to birth this desire to fully experience the Christ child. Now, Advent can be thought of really in three different ways. Um, the coming of Jesus, which, which literally happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus was born. And regardless of what you believe about Jesus in terms of his divinity, that, that Jesus is God, uh, there is little historical discrepancy. I mean, most, most people agree that Jesus was a living being. So Jesus was actually born to Mary and Joseph, these two peasants, poor kids this little obscure part of the world. So, so Jesus was, was literally born. So Advent is preparing or remembering what took place a couple thousand years ago. But, but Advent is also about uh, remembering or thinking about the coming of Christ within our own lives. So if you can uh, imagine or think back to when you first heard about Jesus, and maybe you made a decision to follow Jesus, to receive the gift that, that God gave us in Christ. Um, I, I remember praying this prayer with my parents in my bedroom when I was a young kid. I was baptized when I was seven years old. I'll never forget, it was um, in, in the fall. It was freezing cold outside, and I was baptized in an outdoor pool in Alabama, which was not a good idea. Freezing, I'll ne- but I'll never forget it. And so Advent for me isn't just thinking back to what happened 2,000 years ago, but it's also thinking about what happened within myself, my, my own heart and my own mind. And I hope Advent stirs that for you too, thinking about what Christ has done as he's been born in you. But Advent isn't just about something in, in history, whether it be the birth of Christ or the birth of Christ in me, but, but Advent is about the future. We, we, we celebrate something that, is, that, that we just have a taste of, like this pregnancy idea. We, we just have a taste of it, but it's not fully experienced yet. There's something that will happen in the future, and we long for that day. I think all of us would say we long for a day when peace would rule in this world, right? Wouldn't we say we long for a day when everything is made right again, when there's no more hatred There's no more war. Well, this, for us as Christians, this is what Advent is all about. It's hoping for that day. And and Advent invites us to be a part of that very story. Now, for this year, uh, this specific year, we're on this journey, and what we're using uh, for, for our Advent path is a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament and Isaiah is the one who's speaking. Um, I, I doubt he actually wrote the words himself, but, but he spoke these words. Someone wrote them down. And um, they're, they're these words that are, uh, in, in essence, trying to give us a picture of who God is and who Christ will be. 
Now, later in the story of the Bible, Paul, um, he wrote this. He wrote that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And, and, and you know, one, one, of our, one of our questions might be, well, like, what is God like? What does he look like? I mean, this being that you can't even imagine, the, the creator of the universe, what does he look like? And and in essence, what God wanted to do was give us to, he wanted to give us Jesus so that we would know what he looks like. We would know what he's like. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So Isaiah begins to pen these words, giving us a picture of who Jesus is to be. He says this, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who walk in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. There, there's something about Jesus that is a a light in the darkness. There's something different about Jesus. If you think about our world in terms of a place of darkness, Jesus brings light to that. There's something hopeful about it. I was, uh, I was out um, on a morning jog the other day, and um, I was up before the light was up, and so I wear a headlamp sometimes. And I was wearing a headlamp, and I was running across a little bridge um, by some water down by Shea. And as I went across the bridge, I just kind of stopped and looked to the right and turned my lamp off because the light was starting to come up over the water. And I thought, this is, this is, this is the coming of Christ, is to be some sort of light in a dark world. There's something hopeful about that. There's something that, regardless, again, what you believe about Jesus and his divinity, there's something that draws you into the light. You want to know more about that light, the beauty that is there. So there's a light a great light for those who are in deep darkness. And then, he, and then he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called. And here are the four images. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. Images of Jesus. Last week we talked about Jesus as the Wonderful Counselor. And uh, I, we, I remember saying this last week, that if you, if you celebrated Thanksgiving with your family, you were probably reminded, like many of us, that you need counseling because your family is crazy. <laughs> My family's crazy, and, and all of us need counseling. And, and Jesus fulfills this, this role in some way, that he is the wonderful counselor. He's the one with a perspective that is so much bigger than us. He, he sees everything. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. And he sees all the intricacies of our lives. He sees it all. And, and not only that, but, but Jesus wants what is best for you, and he wants what is best for me. He wants us to experience life to the full. In fact, when he was giving a picture of himself, he said, I have come, you know, the enemy has come to, to steal and to kill and to destroy your life, but I have come to give you life. Like, Jesus wants you to experience life and he wants you to experience this, this full life of light that is different than you can experience on your own. He's this wonderful counselor that points you in a direction of hope and peace. And if you're like me, you might say, well, Jesus isn't here anymore. So how does that help me now, right? And Jesus said to his disciples, and I think he would say to us, um, as he goes away, he's saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here for this very reason, 
The Spirit is here to bring you hope and life and point you in a direction. The Holy Spirit is even here, and we don't like this part, but the Holy Spirit here is, is, is here to convict us, to convict us when we're walking paths of death or to lead us to destruction. So he's the wonderful counselor. And then the image I want us to, to dig into this week is the mighty God. He will be called Wonderful Counselor and the Mighty God. Now, I pulled an image that I think is an image of, of tension for me. I mean, how can you talk about a mighty God in the form of a baby, right? I, I mean, when we think about might and strength, we, we don't normally think of little children, do we? For unto us a child is born, and he will be called Mighty God? I mean, babies can't even walk. How, how, how do they bring with them some might? Now, if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent, babies have a great amount of, of, of strength within them, don't they? It's not the strength that we, we normally think of being strength, but, it, but it's this unbelievable power that holds sway. How many grandparents are in the room? We got grandparents? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Your grandchild asks you for something, what's the answer? Yes. yes. How much? <laughs> right? My, my, my wife's parents, they're awesome. We have to work so hard to undo what they do every time they show up in town. Because our kids apparently have this strength over them, this, 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 this mighty power over them. But, but Jesus, it's, it's not just this kind of power that, that draws us in and might control us in some ways or cause us to want to do something, but, but he has the power to, to bring life in a way that we can't experience it on our own. Um, Max Lucado is a, is a pastor and... Um, some of his writings uh, sometimes help me picture things in, a, in a, a little bit different way. Listen to this. The, the omnipotent, I mean, you know, the all-powerful, in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon a young girl. Now think about this. The, the creator of the beauty of the world that's all around us chose to become dependent upon a teenage mother for his very life. The, the one who spoke the words of creation chose to enter into the form of a child who could not speak any words. It gives us a glimpse of the kind of power and the use of power that God chooses. God is a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created, God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. <laughs> he stretched against the walls and he floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. The mighty God.
Now, this should create some, some sort of tension within us. A, a mighty God who chooses to come as a, as a, as a baby. Uh, the mighty God who chooses not to come in, in power and in strength and to, to display his might, but rather comes humbly with, with, with no need for, like, fanfare. I mean, it goes against... It goes against the, the way that our world works. I, I love college football, and right now we're talking about you know, the strongest, the biggest, the fastest, the best of the best. Who gets in? Who are the four teams? We all know Alabama's going to win it all, but, but the other three teams, right? Everything in our world is about bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, quicker, the best of the best of the best of the best. When, when I played sports in, in high school and college, it was always amazing to me the, the athletes that were willing to, to put <coughs> drugs into their bodies that would, in, in a long-term way, hurt them, but they did it because they thought it would bring something quicker to them. It would make them better, bigger, faster. You see, we, we want... We want to be seen as powerful. We want to hide the things that, that would show us as being weak. Um, Paul, one of the very first Christians, he wrote these words in, in, um, in 2 Corinthians. He, he's writing to a group of Christians who... Um, again, want to follow Christ, want, want to experience this kind of life, but there have been some teachers who have come in who have been boasting about their special place with God, their special experiences, so they're boasting about what they can say. And uh, Paul's talking about his weakness instead of his strength, and he says, the Lord says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ can actually work through me. Like, Paul's giving us this, this, this dynamic of, of how kingdom power works, that it's not about us making ourselves better, stronger, faster, smarter, but it's about our, our ability to humble ourselves and be honest about our weakness so that then God can actually show up. As long as, as we can do it all on our own, we don't need God, do we? But there's strength that comes when we're actually able to humble ourselves to a place to say, I don't have all the answers. I can't hold it all together anymore. I can't fix the problems that reside within my family. I'm weak. And then Paul says this, for when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's this great declaration. For, for when I'm weak, it's when I'm weak that I'm strong. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's the way of the kingdom. That's the way of the mighty God, this, this Christ child at Christmas. Um, if you're in the business world, one of the things that is talked about quite a bit these days is um, this, this ability to, to know yourself, self-awareness. To, to allow those around you, there's these things called 360s, uh, it, it's, it's allowing the people who are around you to speak truth and to, to help you realize who you really are. 
Because all of us have this bit of a false image of ourselves, right? So it, it allows other people to speak truth into us. And it, it gives us the platform to be honest about our weakness. And it's this kind of practice. Like Paul says, it's when I'm weak that I'm actually, I can actually become strong. When, when I'm honest about who I really am in business, at home, it, I can surround myself with people who are stronger than me there. But in the spiritual world, in the spiritual sense, it's when I'm honest about my failings, my shortcomings, my sin, that's when God can actually show up in his might. For when I am weak, I am strong. This reminds me of something that Jesus talks about. Uh, he's talking to his disciples near the end of his life. And he has a couple of disciples who come up to him and say, Jesus, when you make, make it to your place in the kingdom, can we sit at your right and your left? Right? Can, can we be your, your vice presidents? Can we sit on either side of you? And Jesus kind of, I, I think he probably chuckled and he said, well, you, you can't drink the cup that I'm about to drink. You, you have no idea what you're asking for. And then he, he makes this statement in this, this teaching about leadership. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. It's this, it's this upside-down world called the kingdom. And it's very different than the world that we live in. It's just a different picture of what it means to be strong. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called the mighty God. Jesus, having all authority and power placed upon his shoulders, knowing his path, gathered with his disciples. And as he was sitting with his disciples, he he took off his coat and he wrapped a towel around his waist and one by one he knelt in front of each one of his disciples, those who were following him. And he knelt and he, he did the work, he did the work of a servant. He, he, he took each one of their feet and he washed them. And he didn't just pour water on them. He, he probably, like, scrubbed their feet. Now, for us, uh, washing feet might not seem like that big of a deal, but in a world where, where there really were no shoes to protect your feet and you, you, you walked everywhere you went, your feet would have been extremely dirty and calloused. And, and Jesus one by one, scrubbed the feet of those who called him master. He, he, even, he even came to the, the one who would betray him, who would turn him over to the authorities, who would sell him out. He, he washed his feet. 
one of the most humbling acts that could be done. And one, one of his disciples said, you can't wash my feet. You, you, you can't do that for me. And um, Jesus said, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have a place in the kingdom. Because you have to humble yourself to enter into this upside-down kind of kingdom that God's bringing. To which Peter replied, then wash all of me. <laughs> I want to be all in, right? <laughs> Jesus said, well... You don't need to be washed all over. Your, your feet are what's dirty. Let me wash your feet first. And then Jesus stood and I'm sure his disciples just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And he said, now that I've washed your feet, you should now do this for one another. And I think in, in some ways what, what Jesus um, was saying to them, and I think what he's saying to us at Christmas is, is that all of us have been given a certain amount of authority, and all of us have a certain amount of influence in the lives of those around us, and we've been called to use the power that we've been given, the influence that we've been given, not in some sort of display of strength, but rather a spirit of service. So a couple questions I want to end with today. And I want us just to let these kind of sink into our minds as we, as we begin to walk towards Christmas. Here, here's, here's one of the questions. Um, where do we need to humbly acknowledge our need for the mighty God to show up? Where do we need to humbly acknowledge our need for the mighty God to show up? Where are you weak? Where am I weak? In what area of your life, in what relationship? Um, and, and maybe you've, you've put on the air that you have it all together. I think we all try, try to play that game. But where do you really need God to show up today in this Christmas season? And are we able to, just as, as God did, are we able to humble ourselves to acknowledge that, to be honest about that? The second question which I think is, is important as we approach Christmas as well, is um, how and where might we need to display true strength by actually serving someone else? And maybe this is someone in your business. Uh, maybe some, this is someone at work. Maybe it's someone in your house. Uh, maybe it's someone that you love. Maybe it's someone that you don't love, that you're having a hard time loving. But where might you need to display your strength, not by demanding, but rather by serving? Is there someone that you can think of? And, and maybe your experience of Christmas this year might be changed a little. Maybe you might fully uh, understand the coming of Christ, not just by reading or listening or hearing, but, but, but actually by doing something, by serving someone else in love. Paul said that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. If we want to know what God's like, we need to look at Jesus. Now, not just that, but we, you and me, we were created in the image of God. 
which means we were created to live in the same way that Jesus lived. We, we, we are to look to Jesus as our primary blueprint of what it needs, means to, to be fully human. That's what Jesus is for us. He's the image of God, and he's the image of who we are called to be. So this Christmas, may we understand just a little bit more the mighty God who came as a child, and may we plug into that. May we embrace that in all the relationships we've been given. Father God, um, this morning we bow before you, and we, um, we try to get some, some grasp, some sense of Jesus being born as a child, this mighty God laying aside all of his power, all of his strength, all of the demands and, and, and being born as a child who could not speak, who could not walk, who was totally dependent upon his mother for life. God, may we see what true strength is like in this picture. And God, may we be fully human, the kind of humans we were created to be, not in, in trying to be bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, richer. God, may, may we understand what it means to be truly human by taking what you've given us and serving other people. God, thanks for your love. Thanks for your grace when we mess it up. Thanks for loving us as your children, your sons and daughters. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.